Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. Grab your pins and papers, everyone, because we're back with Spoiler Country, and you're going to take notes today, because today we are talking with Gene Hoyle about Nerd Nation and about how he helps and loves to help new writers break in and make comics. And Melissa sat down and talked with Gene about Nerd Nation Presents, about helping writers and writers getting into the business, about the comic and comics in general, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm not going to waste your time. Get your pens and pencils ready and some paper. Take some notes for this one. There'll be a test at the end. And let's listen to Gene Hoyle in his own words. Spoiler Country Podcast, and I'm Melissa Sergia. Today on the show, I'm thrilled to welcome comic book writer Gene Hoyle. Welcome to the show today. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. How are you? Very well, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Uh, what part of the country are you in? I am currently in Florida. What was that? Sorry, I didn't catch that. I'm in West Palm, Florida. Okay, awesome. So you are having some interesting weather right now, I guess. One word for it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so we're going to jump right into it. You're a comic book writer. With, um, you've been with Nerd Nation for a while. Um, how long have you been writing comics? Um, I, I've been publishing comics since 2014. I guess I've been writing kind of all my life, but I never, I never had the confidence to... Um, go ahead and let other people see what I wrote. Um, I was almost 44 before I published my first comic. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, no, that's common. I, you know, I'm an, a writer myself, and I was 35 um, when I got my first book published. So it's oh, wow. never too late. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> never too late. It's never too late. Yeah, exactly. You can always have a second career later in life, um, especially with writing, I think, and I'm sure you agree with this. It's not really a career that has an age cap on it not for the most part as long as what you're writing um comes from your experience you're not trying to be a hip kid at 60 then you're i think you're okay <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> not trying to be with the the young lingo <laughs> exactly yeah well let's talk about and let make sure that i'm pronouncing this right uh dulce yes yeah let's talk that- about that it is uh, sci-fi. Uh, I had a chance to read the issue you sent me, and it was fantastic. Uh, it has time travel, giant psycho bunnies. I mean, everything you could possibly want in a good uh, sci-fi comic. What, what can you tell me about that? How did you start that? Um, actually, a friend of mine, Eric Cockrell, uh, has a studio called Studio Urbo, 
Uh, that's his, his publishing company. He's done a book called Blister and a few other things at Ease of Man. He wanted to do this, this idea about a uh, workplace comedy set in an alien base. And we talked about it a little bit, and he liked my idea, so you know, we decided to do it together. Uh, and we, we assembled a, an amazing team. And we put out issue one and two. Issue three will probably be out at some point in 2021. Okay. Perfect. So there's, so there's two issues and you said 2021. Now, how does the story evolve as the issues? Like, what is the arc and theme that you're uh, aiming for? In this, in this first arc, we're really trying to establish the, the world. Um, although you will see, once you get into issue two a little bit, and way more in issue three, um, there is a theme of, of love lost, um, strangely enough. You'll see that most of the characters in the story have lost um, someone very, very close to them. And even though it's a comedy and it's pretty light, we do get into that theme, especially with our main villain, who's introduced in number two, the bank teller. Okay. That's awesome. That's great. I think it's important to do that balance. You know, you have uh, certain uh, comics that are really, really dark that insert humor. So if you have something that's more campy and humorous, it's great to add those emotional moments and dig a little bit deeper. So I think that's great you guys are exploring that we try to keep it um try to keep this particular book light but again i can never write totally light so i have to kind of dive into my feelings a little bit to really get a story that i like and i found that i, I like these characters a lot and even though you know one of them is an ancient fear god and one of them is an alien uh, i still have fun writing them awesome awesome now tell me about the anthology that you did um for nerd nation uh, i was reading just a little snippet about um, your uh, contribution to it. I read something about zombies and an apocalypse. Yes, a Nerd Nation Presents is actually an anthology title. Um, when I did my first book, which was Gateway Runners in 2014, I also wanted to to help other people get published for the first time. Because doing my first book, I realized, oh, oh. man, it's a process. It's it's not easy, and a lot of people probably give up before finishing it. So Nerd Nation <laughs> Presents is an anthology where we accept um, submissions from pretty much anyone of any experience type. And uh, for the most part, you're going to get published in this book unless there's there's a real issue with quality. But even then, I mean, we try to work with you and make it happen because that book is about publishing new talent. And uh, we want to keep that book going forever. That's great. It actually uh, ties into another question I was going to ask you on what advice would you give, you know, newbie uh, comic book writers, people that, you know, don't necessarily know how to begin or how to start. So um, would that be something you would, you would suggest they do or, or what would be the first step if someone wanted to get into comic book writing? I think the first step is to find a story that you're, you're passionate about writing. Even if it's a funny, lighthearted thing, you know, just something that you really want to write, um, get it down. Uh, if you're, if you're an artist, find a writer, team up, uh, come up with a story and then make it happen. You don't have to, um, have a, a Kickstarter with a $20,000 goal. You don't have to um, go to San Diego Comic-Con. Just make the book. Make sure that making the book is your priority. And mm -hmm. there's always resources out there to to find help for how to do that. And um, that's what Nerd Nation Presents is all about. That's awesome. I think that's great that you guys are helping people get started. I Oftentimes in you know, any publishing industry, uh, people feel like they're kind of lost in the sea of, you know, people so i think that's really great um where, where on the what's the website that they could find for that um actually if, if you're looking to be part of nerdation presents the best way is to email me 
Um, my email is genesplice71 at yahoo.com. Um, that is the absolute best way. Unfortunately, we don't have a dedicated website right now. There, We had a Nerd Nation website, but it's, it's not currently active. So the, the email is always the place to get me. Let me know who you are um, and what you want to do, and, and we'll make it happen for sure. That's great. Awesome. And um, you have actually, so you've been writing comic books for a long time. When you first got started, did you have anyone that helped you out as far as a mentor or anyone specific that kind of steered you in the right direction? Well, when I wrote the script for, for Gateway Runners 1, um, I, I kind of had a few people that helped me look at the script. One of them was a woman named Kitty Pierce. Um, Kitty and her, at the time, husband Aaron, they came in and they were not the original creative team on the book. It was supposed to be me writing and uh, another woman uh, doing the art. But the Kickstarter we did failed totally. It was it was a disaster. Everything that could go wrong with the Kickstarter went wrong because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, okay. And with Aaron and Kitty's um, encouragement and their skills, they hadn't done a book either. But they, but Aaron knew the you know the digital part of it, which is a really tough part of making a comic, putting it all together in the right size and shape and getting it to the to the printer. Um, they helped me with that. We did a second uh, fundraiser, which was wildly successful. Because we learn from our first one. Uh, so learning from your failures is a very important part of being an indie comic uh, publisher or writer. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Trial and error. Absolutely. For sure. Um, so the, the topic of indie comics has really become almost mainstream, the topic itself, in recent years. Uh, what do you think is appealing to people now with indie comics used to be just like you know the big traditional publishers why do you think indie comics is making such a great splash at the moment Uh, i think i think there's a it's a it's a cycle um i know in the very early 80s uh indie comics also had a big boom they had the black and white boom that included like uh, turtles and books like that Uh, but there was also a, a thriving uh color market for books uh kamiko first uh eclipse there were a bunch of companies out there uh, and I think we're seeing that again, and it's bigger now because you have any comic can be made into a movie if if someone if someone buys the rights to it. And that was this is kind of a, a little fishing pond that that directors and and producers are looking into, and that is putting more eyes on it. Um, yeah. Plus, I think seeing some of the the mo- excuse me some of the biggest quality uh, leaps in books in a long time. Some of the books that are coming out from the indie publishers are as good or better than the stuff the big two are putting out. I agree. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually, I'm with an indie publisher and um, I have to agree. I mean, they're just, the quality is so great that you actually can't even really tell the difference anymore. If you look at two covers next to each other, uh, you can't tell which one is indie and which one is traditional for the most part. Um, So I think that's really great. Yeah. The the line is blurred and, do-it-yourself stuff is is becoming bigger and bigger and that's that's terrific that that's only good for the industry absolutely yeah do you think comic cons had a hand in this getting people closer to the writers and the illustrators and you know the, the people that are actually starring in the shows that are that the comics have been made from do you think that helped at all i think it absolutely helps uh comic con and other comic cons around the country uh, i think are really important i know i've I've hosted a number of um, panels for indie comic people to get started. And that whenever I do an indie comic panel, the room is full. There are, are tons of people that want to do it and aren't sure how to do it. 
and you know, a, a con is somewhere where you can go and you can meet people that are like you and, and hopefully team up and, and get the information that you need to get you started. Uh, plus yeah. it's, it's terrific. I mean, being an artist alley to me is like being a rock star. I love it. it it's mm-hmm. fantastic. I know it's so fun. You know, it's funny. Uh, Emerald city comic con is, uh, like my favorite, uh, con to go to. I go every year. And this year was my first year that I was supposed to go with a pro pass, you know, and I was super excited about it. I thought, Oh, I'm a pro now. <laughs> and of course it's the pandemic year and it gets canceled. And I, ca- I kept yes. the, the pass and everything, but I thought, Oh God, like maybe next year. It just wasn't in the cards, but, um, but well, the comic books are amazing. Yeah. I'm hoping the pro passes for people that had finally gotten them this year and couldn't go will transfer over to next year that they definitely need to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Once you start, I, I hope they do that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's only right. I think all these people that, you know, had their hopes and dreams resting on it. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think the cons will be even bigger and better when we do get back to, you know, normal. I think there'll be some changes. There's not going to be the selfies and, you know, people shaking hands as much, but I think that, you know, the, the content I think will be bigger and better. Well, absolutely. I think um, this downtime is giving creators a lot of time to make books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some great stuff coming out right now. I mean, just, you know, shows and comics and books that are coming out. And it just is allowing people, I think, that time and space, you know, that we, we don't have uh, in normal times. Because, you know, a lot of people are, um, I don't know about you, if you, if you have like a, a separate job as well, like do you have a day job as well, or do you just write comics? Uh, right now, I am not working, and that, that's due to health issues. In 2016, I actually had a, a burst brain aneurysm and, and almost died. Um, but luckily, I was able to snap back from that, but I'm, I'm not able to work, unfortunately. Oh, my God. That's terrible. How are you? How did you recover from that? It was an interesting journey. Um, it, it's weird. A friend of in 2011, uh, I saw an article on a, a website about a kid that had been to a convention and um, he had had an aneurysm the year before, and he talked about how comics had saved him. Um, and I immediately contacted this guy. It, it seemed like so- someone I'd want to talk to. And we became good friends. And ironically, in 2012, we did a book um, uh, raising a- awareness for brain aneurysms. So then four years later, I have one. Um, and so luckily for me, I had a lot of the knowledge, um, you know, what to do afterwards. I mean, you know, a lot of it was out of my control. But having someone like my friend C. Donnelly, who, who was the person in question, uh, around to kind of emotionally help me through it, even though he was on the other side of the country, uh, made a big difference. And plus, I have I have some of the greatest friends in the world, and they were all there for me. Uh, the nurse actually yelled at us in the hospital because people were visiting me and we were laughing and having a good time, which apparently mm-hmm. was against the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no fun in the hospital. <laughs> No, that's great. It's good to have a good support system. I, has that affected your your writing schedule as well, or um, has it allowed you more time to actually reflect and write more? A little bit of both. Um, there are days, you know, unfortunately, where I just can't even do much more than get up and, and go about the motions of each day. Uh, but then there are days where I can write, and when I get in that in that groove, I mean, you know, you're a writer, you get into that thing mm-hmm. where you're just on fire, you're just moving and you got the story coming down, and that is when I feel the most healthy. I mean, I really, really makes a big difference to me. I think writing is uh, probably saving me emotionally from all of this. Yeah, it's very therapeutic. 
Absolutely. You know, it can get you through a lot of different things, whether you're writing something, you know, funny or, or sad. I do believe it's very like cathartic process um, that, you know, a lot of people that aren't writers don't understand. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite the process of like, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I've got to write this out before I lose it and go through that, you know, that process. Is that, what is your process like? Is that similar? Do you have to be like, shut the doors, no music, or do you like to have background noise? No, I don't like any background noise. I like it as quiet as possible. I know a lot of my writer friends do, uh, they, they talk about their, their playlists when they're writing. And mm-hmm. I really that. Um, I do, if, if I'm gearing up to write a specific scene though, I will listen to some music beforehand to kind of get in the mood. You know, if I'm doing actions, listen to some fast stuff and, if I'm going to do a real sad scene, I'll listen to some ballads and get all weepy, which 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 I do a lot. And <laughs> but when I'm actually sitting down to write, I like silence. I really do. Um, yeah. Me and maybe my cat next to me, and nothing else. Oh yeah, you have you can't. You're not a real writer unless you have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that too. I have a lot of writer friends who like to go to coffee shops, and, and which is great if that's what works for them, but. I would find I would just be looking at everyone and like you know people watching and I'd get totally distracted <laughs> if I didn't have complete quiet. <laughs> yeah, you know how it is. Yeah, totally, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, another comic that you worked on. It was Labyrinth. Is that correct? Yes, Labyrinth of Bones actually was very interesting. I started writing it um, in in 2015, and I got a little distracted, and then then I had the aneurysm and. Um, I was determined after the aneurysm when I was sitting in the hospital, you know, it, it's, it's a scary thing because a, a brain aneurysm is about a 40% survival rate. So I really beat mm-hmm. the odds. And I thought to myself, I have to show myself that I still am capable of doing things. So I'm going to finish labyrinth of bones and I'm going to get my friend, David Johnson jr. To draw it. And we're going to put it out. And we did. Um, and we did a fundraiser for it and it did well. And the book came out and, People liked it, and Labyrinth of Bones is actually my most uh, commercially successful book. Um, okay. And, you know, because we got it to a lot of places, got it to a lot of people. Um, I did a six six different location signing. Uh, it's six different comic stores and then a, con- a small library convention, all within the space of a couple of weeks. And it was hard. It was physically taxing, but I wanted mm-hmm. to prove that I could still do it. And Labyrinth of Bones is a book about loss and and reacting to loss in maybe the wrong way um the main character gill he's lost his wife in a terrible circumstance which didn't need to happen and so he's on a mission of revenge but um he realizes he should be on a mission of justice so the 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 book is kind of a journey into his soul to see which which he chooses to do uh and it's a um it's it's set in a in a a mystical world the sword sword and sorcery type world and so yeah (laughs) It helped me get through a lot of my personal demons. So I was interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to ask you if it was set in like a contemporary setting or a, a mystical vibe to it. Oh, yes. Very much sword and sorcery, which is not a, not something that I'm a huge fan of. So it's odd that I ended up writing it. But I just had this idea of this this labyrinth made up of the bones of its victims. That was ever changing. And to me, once I had that story. That's really, really cool. That actually reminds me of sort of like a lock and key type of a vibe. Yes, kind of. Yeah. I'd say yeah, that's fair. That's interesting. Um, so 
is he like a superhero or, did, or does he have like magical powers like wizardry no his his wife was actually um a, a, a spell caster she um she brewed spells and she had she had like the big uh the big bowl you know the the cauldron and she was she mm-hmm. made spells that she could sell but it was nothing nothing so fantastic as like shooting bolts out it was, it was mostly like um healing spells and uh, things to help crops grow and he was just a soldier he was a very simple soldier and he went off to fight for his land um and while he was gone uh it turned out that the the, the king wasn't paying um the soldiers families so mm-hmm. his wife was pregnant at the time began to starve and she went out to beg and begging begging in this particular uh land farson was against the law so they threw her into the labyrinth and she died there so um mm-hmm. he came back after you know fighting and giving his all and watching his friends die he comes back to his wife and child being dead and so he decides he's going to go into the labyrinth in a in a kind of a whole scheme to to stop this from ever happening to anyone again. Oh, wow. That sounds really interesting. Where, where can we um, read that? Is that on Amazon? Is it at your local um, comic book store? Um, it, w- it was not in the Diamond Catalog, although if you're in South Florida, you'll find it at quite a few stores here. Uh, unfortunately, I am in the process of setting up a, a store for all of my books, but it's not active. But again, if, you, if you're interested in a copy, if you write me at genesplice71 at yahoo.com, um, I can I can get that taken care of because I am set up with Square, so I can I can do transactions. I just don't have the site up right now. Um, okay. Now, by the way, I forgot to mention Dulce, which we talked about earlier, is available on Comicsology. I'm hoping for the rest of my books to be available on there this year as well. Oh, that's great! Yeah, it makes it more accessible for sure. Exactly. Very cool. Now, are you? Um, I have to ask because we were talking about the, the spellcaster. Are you a gamer at all? Have you played any tabletop games or video games that have maybe influenced you? I've played a few video games here and there. Um, I do play D&D on occasion. I'm not a, a hardcore D&D person, although I am in, in a virtual campaign right now with some friends. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was in a campaign last year with my son, which we hope to continue this year. Um, but um, I guess growing up around in the 80s as a kid, um, there's a lot of eighties fantasy movies and I really liked some of those stuff like crawl and, um, mm-hmm. Beastmaster. So that stuff was always there with me. Um, you know, Willow and all those terrific movies. Okay. And I think that's an influence with me, although I'm way more of a science fiction guy. Are you? Okay. What's your, what's your favorite sci-fi movie? Um, gosh, movie, my favorite movie of all time is the last Starfighter, which is kind of a oh. cute sci-fi movie. I love that a lot. Uh, I'm also a huge Star Trek fan. Star Trek was my first fandom, and through Star Trek, I think I really built up a, a that my moral my moral system of of what kind of person I wanted to be. And so Star Trek has always fascinated me in that it was able to do that as well as tell fascinating stories. And that's probably responsible for my love of all things science fiction. Are you a Star Wars fan as well, or? I like Star Wars. Uh, I don't like it nearly as much as I like Star Trek. You know, if it's if it's gonna be a battle between the two, I'll take Star Trek anytime. But I do like Star Wars. I love, I love. Um, I'm not sure I love the Jedi as much as I love like the bounty hunters and stuff. I like that that dirty lived in world of the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sort of like grimy, uh, almost has like a post apocalyptic feel to it. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I feel like people are either Star Wars or, or Team Star Trek. I rarely meet people that like both, to be honest, or that are like passionate about both. I, I try I try very hard to not um, not put those labels on myself as a fan because I want to like everything. I really do. I mean, it doesn't always happen. There are things I absolutely despise, but I, I try to give everything a try. And plus, as a, as a kid, um, I was introduced to, to Star Wars. I missed the first movie in theaters because I would have been sick when it came out. But I, mm-hmm. I did get a hold of the the comic book adaption of Empire Strikes Back, which led me to see the movie. And I became a fan at that point. So I, I guess Star Wars has been a part of my life for a long time, too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how things that we don't even realize sometimes will actually influence, influence us in our, our writing. You know, you'll be writing something and then think, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of similar to, you know, something I read when I was a kid or maybe something I watched on television. And you don't even realize it, you know, until it's kind of like you've written the scene or whatever. And then you see those influences after. Yes, and as long as it's just an influence, it's okay. Uh, occasionally, though, when, when I was first writing, I realized uh, every once in a while I'd write something, and I'm like, that's a good line. Where'd that come from? In my head? And then I, I make sure it's not a line from somewhere else. You know, and, and that's yeah. a tricky thing. But it, it doesn't happen very often, so I'm usually all right. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> we don't want to copy anyone. I know that's so hard. There's so many ideas out there that have been recycled so much. Um, that it, it is hard to come up with, you know, a fresh concept. And, you know, for you, you know, how do you kind of go about that as far as, like, I want to put a new spin on something in the, but still, you know, kind of pay homage to, like, the, the genre itself? Uh, to me, it's all about um, the idea itself and, and the way that you, you bring that idea to life. Because um, there are very basic ideas. Let's say the zombie, the zombie uh, story. Um, it's very mm-hmm. basic. Right now, I'm writing on a, a I'm writing a version of it that's so different than anything you've seen before that it's not going to um, it won't compare to those. It'll be almost like a different genre all on its own, and that's because what I had to say about zombies was different. Um, yeah. it, it's also your personal voice. That's like I I've avoided for a long time putting out a superhero story because I love superheroes. That's what I grew up on, and it, it's a big part of my life. But I, I didn't have anything to say about the genre. Uh, and then I, I found out that I did, and I wrote a few stories, and, and I think they were okay. They haven't come out yet, but they will. Um, but it, yeah, it's about it's about having something to say within that genre. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, um, you can write something that's similar, but everybody's voice, like you said, is going to be different. You're going to tell the story from your perspective, and um, and you're not going to have the same perspective as Steven Spielberg or you know. Um, whoever you know what i mean it's just it's going to be your own take on it um and i think especially with the zombie genre there's there's not a lot of front runners you know for me it's always been george romero um i mean of course i love the walking dead stuff too that's been fun but i think it's really hard to come up with a fresh take on zombies so my hat's off to you if you manage manage to do that that's great <laughs> well i will say that the um the, this is also a book i'm working on with a friend a guy named uh, Sean Barber, um, who's done a few books. He's, he's really good. He has a, um, oh gosh, I'm, I'm blank in this company now, and I feel really bad. <laughs> yes, okay, that's all right. We can add it in later. <laughs> yes, he actually, he actually came to me with this idea. Uh, and it's it's a completely science-based thing. It's, it's way less zombies and way more, gosh, how can I describe this? I, I can't give away too much because we're still in the process of making the book, and it's not mm-hmm. my you know, so I don't want to say too much, but it's a completely science-based approach to it. 
And it's not about just survival, although that's there, of course. Uh, okay. And this, it's a theme that I seem to go back to a lot in my books is loss. Um, the main character in this book has had tremendous loss, and um, she's she's working her anger out through it. Uh, and I found that to be to be very interesting. That you know she's by doing the, her main mission in the story, um, she's she's working out this this grief that she has, which makes it become more relatable to people. You know, when because everyone can relate to loss. So I think that's that's really cool, really important. You know, that you kind of weave that into your story and make the character kind of come to life in a sense, make it more authentic. I totally agree. I think character is everything in a story. Um, you could have the greatest concept in the world and you could build the greatest world there ever has been. But if you don't have characters that are at least somewhat relatable, even if they're villains, even if they're ancient fear gods, like in Dulce, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there just has to be something there, a small part of them that you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's- yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, a character, like you said, whether it be a, a hero or a villain, you know, every character has to want something and fear something. And, you know, and then all the plot conflict stuff is kind of just to get them to run around and deal with those fears and motivations. But um, I definitely think, you know, even uh, I, I really appreciate a good villain, you know, like a really good multi-layered villain. And that, that makes a story. I really, I really feel that's important for the villain to be almost as relatable as the hero in some cases. Um, obviously, their actions will, will preclude them from being heroes, but you you want to understand where they're coming from. I think one of the greatest examples in, in comic book history is Magneto, when Chris Claremont decided that you know he was the, the only survivor of his family from a Jewish concentration camp. It gave you a whole new concept of who that character was and what he was about, and I thought that was fantastic. And I've taken that with me into my writing. Um, no villain should be one dimensional. There shouldn't be a villain who's just out to rule the world. There's got to be a reason he wants to rule the world. And what's next? What's next after this to rule the world? How is he? Yeah. You know. Exactly. Like, what's the purpose of it all? What does he really want? You know, because yeah, and I think that that's changed a lot in in, in writing and books and comic books as well. You know, I remember as a kid, I'm 41. I remember growing up, you know, the 80s. The, the villains were always like, you know, the, the crazy cackling laugh and they were just bad because they were bad. And I actually like, um, you know, for example, when they redid the, um, not redid, but they did that fairy tale retelling of Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. And, yes. you know, as a kid growing up, you just think she's this evil queen who, you know, wants to hurt Sleeping Beauty for no reason. And the movie gave her this backstory, you know, about this heartbreak that she went through and, I just thought that was brilliant the way they did that. Absolutely. And I, I think even, even characters that are just completely remorseless and, and re- irredeemable um, can have something that you can relate to. Well, is, is walking dead. Negan is a mm. son of a gun, but um, they do mention, you know, he has had loss of his own. You, they don't get into it as much as some things do, but it's there. And, you know, his, his anger might come from a place of pain, but he's really just trying to survive and helping mm-hmm. others the same. I mean, his, his means for doing it are wackadoo, but he <laughs> thinks a good thing for people. Yeah. No, I think that's a great example. And I know like I've heard Chris Hardwick mention this on his show, Talking Dead, where if we had come into the Walking Dead series from Negan's perspective, 
we would have been, we would have seen him as the hero and Rick and the others as the villains. And it was just really because of the way they dropped us into the story and how they told the story through, you know, Rick's perspective that Negan became the villain. But if you could easily switch, you know, the perspectives around and we would be rooting for Negan. Absolutely. Um, Rick, Rick and company, they did some nasty things too. Some things that would, in most stories, make them the villains. So you're right. You're absolutely right. It's all about perspective. And you can even tell a story from a villain's perspective and make him seem like a good character. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was brilliant writing on their part um, as well. But um, it would be interesting. I'd love to see that like as a spinoff, like Negan's version. <laughs> would be That would be cool. I'm actually, I'm currently watching for the first time Fear the Walking Dead. Um, oh, yeah. How do you like that? I actually, I'm. It's weird. I'm finding myself liking it a lot. Although I'm in season four right now, and they've done they've done this thing where they're almost totally reinventing the show, and characters mm-hmm. are dropping off like left and right, and then it's kind of strange to me. Also, the the only thing I don't like about Fear the Walking Dead is when when characters leave, it's sometimes very fast, and um, you don't have time to do a final episode. There's someone I can't remember who it was who dies in the end of season one, and in season two they're like, "Yep, he got hit by a truck." Off, off, and I'm like, "What? Are you kidding me?" You like didn't even get a scene. <laughs> yeah, but the um, they they introduced a, a cowboy character in the fourth season. Uh, you know, he's yeah. a computer, and he's he's just this amazingly lovable guy, and he's the reason I'm still watching the show. Because uh, yeah. great character. He, yeah, he does not fit into this post-apocalyptic zombie world. He's just such a good person. And I hope he's able to stay that way. I got to keep watching and find out. Yeah, I agree. I think I really like his character. And I think his character did save the show. Um, because like you said, I, the first uh, few seasons um, with Madison and her kids, I really loved watching all of that, especially when they got to the like, kind of the ranch farm thing. Yes. And they had the um, the battle with like the Native Americans. And, um, and I love the actor um, that was, playing the the guy that was running the farm he's from sons of energy and that was just such a great season and then like you said they just start killing people off really quickly and i i do think that the cowboy character i'm totally spacing on his character name right now but he kind of saved the the show really um because i was borderline like okay i don't think i'm gonna watch this anymore it's getting strange but he's he's Um, a great character his name is john it's very simple they they didn't go fancy Of course, I remember that because the, the woman he loves, the woman he's searching for when he first shows up, her name is June. So it's June and John. So that's why I remember. That's very easy to remember. <laughs> that's, that's a great show. Um, you're in season four. So, yeah, you have, I think they're in, are you watching it on uh, what, Hulu, I'm guessing? Reading yes. It? Yeah. I think the new, new season starts next week. Yeah, I think so. And, and it's interesting because the, the pandemic has gotten me to watch a lot more stuff. So I'm spending a lot more time at home uh, being being a high person with the energy and stuff. I can't really go out. Uh, so I've been home for a lot and I get to write and that's terrific. But I also get to watch a lot of stuff. So stuff yeah. that I I skipped the first time, like Fear the Walking Dead, I'm finally getting around to it and I'm, I'm finding that I'm loving it, especially in this off season where there's not a whole lot of new shows on. I mean, you get the boys and but uh, there's not as much as normal. So I'm able to watch shows that I wouldn't have watched before. Yeah, same. I, I feel like there's 
there's really not a lot on TV right now, except for maybe like Netflix, the streaming stuff. And um, I'm discovering new shows too. Like I just finished Yellowstone. It's a great show, by the way, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. It's Yellowstone. It's um, it's not magical or fantasy at all. It's just about a, a family um, in Yellowstone. And I think it's Montana. And it's Kevin Costner. He produced it and uh, stars in it. And it's just about this kind of a ruthless, wealthy family. Um, and they're, it's kind of it's kind of like the cowboy version of Sons of Anarchy, to be honest. Um, oh, nice. It's very, yeah, okay. it's a really cool show. <laughs> I definitely recommend it. I think it's streaming on like Peacock Network or something like that. But, um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Well, no, watching is great. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching Lovecraft Country, which has been amazing. It's crazy. Oh, I want to watch that. I have that on saved on my list. It's, well, I've heard great it, things. It's so neat. You have the you have the horror element, but also at, at its heart, this this is a show about um, you know racism during that period of time and how how a black person had to live and what they had to deal with on a daily basis uh, with this horror veil over it. And it's uh, it's really really interesting. The characters are neat and they're well developed. And, it, I'm, I'm really happy with it so far. Okay. I think there's, but it just started, I think, right? It just aired, like, there's a few episodes, maybe? I think, I think, I think I may have watched five episodes so far. So that, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but at the, at the time, there were five episodes. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> no, I will definitely check that out. It's on my list, and I've just been like, like I said, writing, and then, like, you were talking about, like, we want to write, but we also want to catch up on TV, and so I have this, like, long TBR list of shows that I just didn't have time to watch, you know, during normal uh, normal times, I'm sure. trying to catch up on everything, and um, strangely enough, I've been watching some reality TV, which I never would have done before, but it's kind of like mindless fodder, you know? I understand. My, my son and I, my son's 13. Um, and we've been watching seasons of um, Hell's Kitchen. Um, oh, it's fun. It's fun. I, lo- I love watching Ramsey yell at people. It's, it's a great time. Right. He's so good at it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm like you. I'm not a reality show fan at all. Um, yeah. I, I will admit to watching the first seasons of Survivor and Big Brother. But after that, I dropped out. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm watching Big Brother right now. And it's so far it's not that great of a not that great of a season i'm like every week why am i still watching this <laughs> i understand yeah <laughs> but i think also it's really strange i don't know I, I like to ask people this question when you're just because of like the current events that are going on when you're watching a show do you find yourself kind of flinching a little bit when you see people like too close to each other <laughs> You know what I, I mean? Like, you're like, oh my god, what are they doing? Like, oh wait, this is not filmed in a pandemic. <laughs> you know, I haven't made that connection in my mind yet. Like, it hasn't clicked for me. Although I do wonder, um, in in ten years from now, when hopefully this is all a, a terrible memory, will mm-hmm. there be um, a bunch of movies out taking place during this year where everyone's wearing masks and they're not hanging out together? And like, will we see that? You know, love during yeah. <laughs> on Netflix. I'm wondering if that will happen. I'm almost certain that it will. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. <laughs> I think that it will definitely happen. I think that we'll definitely see some interesting, just different ways that they'll be filming, you know, because they're, they're trying to, like you said, film during COVID and um, there'll be less, I think, intimate scenes and, and less of those, um, you know, we have all the, the extras in the background at like the baseball game or whatever. I think we'll see less of those. 
Yeah, you may see more CGI uh, because that's a that's a great workaround for some you know some fight scenes and stuff like that where people mm-hmm. can't touch each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such a strange time. <laughs> it's very now, strange. Um... I'm sorry. <laughs> so I you so you were a um a podcast host, were you not? Like at some point? It, yeah, was am I don't it. I started a podcast in 2010 and or 11 uh, called Nerd Nation. I did it with a gentleman named Josh Bonner, uh, who has since passed away. But after he left, I, I got a new co-host, uh, Steve Donnelly, who's the gentleman I was talking about earlier. And then we did it for a few years, and we stopped uh, because, you know, work reasons and stuff. And then when I picked it back up, I picked it up with two of my closest friends, um, Kurt and Jack, and we did it for a few years. We've stopped again due to you know family stuff, but we want to pick it back up again. So hopefully, Nerd Nation um, Radio will be back soon. Um, and if you're interested in listening to Nerd, Nerd Nation Radio, it's on pretty much most of the podcast aggregates that you'd find out there: Apple, Google, um, all that stuff. We're around. Well, and is it just is it a, a pop culture and comic books, or just comic books, or just your stuff? Like, what what kind of themes do you guys tackle? Uh, pop culture is a big part of it. Um, I tried to do as many interviews as possible because I really like doing that. Like talking to you right now is making me happy because I love interviews <laughs> no matter which side I'm on. Um, and I try to do comic book people and I try to get as many indie people on as possible and hopefully follow that up with a, uh, interview with someone in the big two, um, because that would draw the people in and then it's safely in the interview. I've been really lucky though. I was able to get some really big people in the show. I interviewed Dan Harmon, uh, with you know, uh, probably weeks before Rick and Morty came out, but I probably caught them just before I should have. But um, people like that, and I find that it's not as hard as you think to get big people on the show. It's really just a matter of asking them <laughs> most of the right. time, waiting until they have something they have to promote. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, that's great. I am excited for you to start that back up again. I will definitely listen. Well, it's, it's so much fun. And when you're promoting your next book, get in touch with I'll, I'll interview you oh my god that would be so much fun i would love that <laughs> thank you but but with, with the show i try to do different things uh, like back in the day when i was doing interviews i also tried to find people from weird walks of life i interviewed mm-hmm. the champion of the world at one point oh. uh, an interesting thing i interviewed um are you aware of the movie the room i have not seen it but i I definitely know about it, and I know it won a bunch of awards. Yeah, I, I was able to um, to secure an interview with the female lead to that, and she was wonderful. She was oh, such wow. a patient about her experience with you know with filming that, filming such yeah. a ridiculous movie. <laughs> I bet that was a really strange um, experience for her. I can't even imagine. Just I, I haven't seen it, but I know like the the premise of it, and it's just very dark, emotional movie. I she must have been carrying that character with her for a while afterwards hard to shake that yeah well it's the thing is though i, and you, I guess you'll understand it when you watch it because it's really hard to explain but it's it's emotional but but it's really poorly done um the <laughs> act did fine like the actors weren't bad but everything else was just so bad about this movie um it, it does have a reputation for being the worst movie ever made and i think it lives up to it <laughs> most definitely <laughs> I did not know that. I thought <laughs> I think she was uh, critically acclaimed, but um, so you're saying the movie though overall was like not well done. 
well, yeah, and the, the, the guy who did it, this guy named Tommy Wiseau, um, he was the romantic lead. And and once you, if you ever see him, if you like Google search him, you'll see why that's a silly concept right there. Uh, but um, he's also a tremendously bad actor. They made a, a movie about the making of a room called The Disaster Artists. With, with, oh, yes, yes. I was with the James Franco thing, right? Yes, yes. And it was, uh, it was really good. That's worth watching before you watch the movie itself, I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> I remember watching clips of that and thinking, like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, it is. The, the movie is so bad, you, you're laughing at it. Actually, uh, I discovered that movie at Megacon, which is a convention in Florida, in 2011. They were airing. Uh, they were airing it at night, and people were were watching it. And I was like, "I've got to see this movie. I've heard so much about." And it lived <laughs> down to my expectations. Oh my! Well, now I definitely have to see it just because you know I can't resist now. <laughs> yeah, it's I love worth- bad movies just that are so bad they're laughable. Yeah, and th- this one just it's just weird. I mean, choices were made that I don't understand. I think I probably could make a better film than Tom did. Like student films would probably be better. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was actually watching. Um, so Halloween's like my favorite time of year, so I'm trying to like watch all my favorites. And I wanted to kind of go back and watch some ones that I hadn't seen since I was a kid. And I started watching Elvira, Mistress of the Night. Nice. <laughs> right. And it was so bad. I, I can't. I don't remember it being that bad because I was probably like 11 when it came out. Um, but it was just like literally, you know, fall out of your chair laughing so oh, bad and like how it got made and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's silly and it's funny. And it was, I think there was an attempt at the time to make Elvira this big, huge icon, a character. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure she ever quite got there. But, um, but yeah, it, it's funny. It, it's, it's worth watching just for the comedic value. Yeah, I watched about half of it, and I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> that was enough nostalgia for the night. <laughs> exactly. Your, your trip down nostalgia lane. Yeah. <laughs> next, I'm like, the next one. <laughs> yeah, nostalgia can be very blinding. Uh, you remember a movie to be so good when you were a kid, and then you go back and you watch it, and you're like, okay, I like this movie. I don't know why. It's disappointing, yeah. I, there, another one I loved when I was a kid was Mannequin with Andrew McCarthy and um, God. I think James Spader, you know? <laughs> yes, I saw that in theaters. I remember that. Oh, my gosh. It was a great movie when I was a kid, and then uh, we watched it not that long ago, and I thought, this is kind of creepy, actually. Like, this is a strange concept. <laughs> yes, and and, and the, the wacky friend character was just a... a just, a total stereotype, and I was like, "Oh, jeez, I couldn't." Oh, I should the Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no ways. Typical eighties. I mean, there's some eighties movies, but like you watch them now, and you're like, "Oh, this is just as you know fantastic as when I first saw it." Um, oh, absolutely. You know? But uh, yeah, some of the other ones are kind of like, "Okay, I was definitely eleven when I saw this." <laughs> absolutely, I I love eighties movies, and that's right because that's that's the period where I started going to movies a lot. I was I, I'm, I was born in '71. I'm, I'm 49 now, and um, okay. the, the '80s was my decade for watching movies, and uh, I did it a lot. I, I was probably at the movies once or twice a week. I loved it so much, and uh, 
Yeah, so I, I always have a fondness for 80s movies, but you're right. Some of them aren't so good. Yeah, a lot of them aren't, but but there's so many good ones that make up for it. You know, we've got like the, you know, Romancing the Stone and The Breakfast Club and St. Animal's Fire and, you know, all those. Um, those definitely make up for it. And those are just as brilliant as they were, I think. You know, that magic is still there when you watch it. That's a tough thing when you're when doing a movie or, or writing a book that's set in modern times or comic even. Uh, it, to to make it seem like it fits in this time, but not be cheesy and corny about it, and that's hard. Um, because you know, if you're if you're maybe not a writer that's not so in touch with what's going on in real life, you're going to do this this almost a parody of what you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's hard to capture um, and make something timeless. Um, I feel like there's just a handful of of books and you know a book that you can read now. Like you said, even though maybe the time period was different when it was written, but the themes uh, and, you know, almost cryptically, some of the issues, because history tends to repeat itself, um, you know, seem to be still relatable when you read certain certain novels or watch certain shows, you know, like you can kind of like, oh, this is actually happening again. <laughs> Just now we're in the future. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, most of the time that's unpleasant stuff, but uh, not always. Yeah, no, exactly. A lot of it can be really fun too, like you know, yeah. adventure like, story. Sure, like something like Paris Bueller's Day Off is timeless. Um, I think Good. people watch that today and they they still understand everything in it. It's a it's a fun movie. You know, maybe they're wearing funny looking clothes, but that's about it. Right. Well, and if you you know wait too long, then those clothes actually become back in style. So <laughs> a history repeating itself. Yeah, exactly. I was just watching Ferris Bueller the other day. It's on TV quite a bit. And I thought, wow, this movie, it makes you smile. It just makes you feel good. Yeah, it's really a great movie. And uh, yeah, I I love it. I absolutely love it. It's funny. There's a wacky fan theory out there that um, Ferris is a a product of Cameron's imagination. Oh. Yeah, it's those, those crazy fan theories that you know are obviously not true but they're funny to explore yeah i like that theory actually like he just hallucinated him the whole day well kind of like a fight club thing like cameron needs to find his guts and and that's how he did it by you know creating this this friend character that was almost perfect i mean she's ferris is, is absolutely perfect in every way everybody loves him except for his sister right <laughs> she hates him but yeah she still kind of saves his behind at the end you know like with the principal and everything that very yeah. last scene she's like go to bed <laughs> her own adventures during the day kind of gave her common ground with her, i think right yeah no absolutely that movie was great i wish they would do sort of like a not a sequel but maybe some kind of like reunion type of a movie like a you know i don't know something not to ruin the original but it would be fun to see that cast back together again I thought about that, and then then I realized that I probably don't want to see that because, in my opinion, what happened in the future is Ferris is probably a used car salesman now. I mean, because <laughs> his his main his main gift is being a, a BSer. You know, he can kind of, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's probably Cameron that's successful. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, you're right. He's probably either used car salesman or uh, or like a stockbroker or something or an insurance salesman. Yeah, something like that. And I think he's probably not happy with his life. And in, in my in my like version of this 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 movie, 
he would come back because he's not happy with his life. So he wants to try to have one more good day with his two friends. One last hurrah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think. Have you watched um, Cobra Kai? You know, I haven't. I've purposely avoided I'm not sure why. Is it good? It's like the best thing I've seen in forever. <laughs> it's oh. so good. Okay. It's, it's literally like making you that nostalgia that we're talking about um, literally just puts you right back into that feeling like when you're in the theater watching Karate Kid. And they've done such a great job with honoring the memory of it, yet like um, creating a completely different story, essentially. And the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, they're all involved in it, I just, I think it's really, really well done. And um, I'm like obsessed with it. I can't wait. They've, there's two seasons on Netflix and they're coming out with a third one, I think next year. So you have to watch it. It's so great. Yeah, I really, I've really been meaning to it. I'm not sure what's been holding me back, but it, it's, uh, this, this time has given me a lot of opportunities to watch stuff. So I'll probably see it soon. Yeah. Were you a Karate Kid fan? I liked it. Um, I don't know if I was a huge fan, okay. but I did it. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And Johnny Lawrence is the, as we were talking before about like the hero and villain switching roles, Cobra Kai does a really good job about um, giving you the story in hindsight through his mm-hmm. memories um, as Daniel LaRusso being almost the villain in his world. You know, so we're watching Karate Kid and we think, oh, Johnny Lawrence is this big bully. But now they're all grown up and, um, yeah, we're getting to see like a different perspective and it's really interesting. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. I love stories that, that twist expectations. I, I try mm-hmm. to do that kind with my stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. I love that. It's awesome. All right. Well, I should let you go. I'm sure you're super busy. I need to get to writing. Um, I'm so happy to chat with you. You've been so great. This has been really fun. I'm I'm really excited to have been on the show, and and you were wonderful. Uh, you pulled answers out of me that I, I didn't expect, that I like that. Oh, awesome! Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited to get the uh, next issue of Dulce. You said that's coming out next year. I'm very excited about that, and I'm going to look for Labyrinth of Bones, or, or we can email you to get Labyrinth of Bones, right? And that was. Um, there will be a, there will be a site up at some point. Right now, emailing me at jeanspolice, and that's S-P-L-I-C-E, 71 at yahoo.com. That's the best place to find me. Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes as well. That way everyone thank can see that after. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, it's just really been a pleasure. I'm really excited to read more of your work. And I think it's really cool what you're doing with Nerd Nation to help new writers. So that's awesome. People can email you about that as well if they want to get involved in comic books yes um, yeah no that's awesome i'm really excited about that i think that's such a great thing for people in the industry um to have like a creative sort of mentor or like touchstone they can go to to get their foot in the door so that's really awesome yeah and can can i throw a quick shout out in 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 here to someone that's like and i should have mentioned him earlier and i hadn't um basically from from my second book on I met a gentleman named Michael Wagoner, um, and we worked together on the the Soul Star book, the you know the the, the aneurysm awareness book. But um, we became friends later on, and he has been uh, my anchor in all of this. We've um, we've done every book I've done since my first two. He's been involved in, um, and he's he's been amazing. He does work for um, 
Lucky Comics. He's the, um, the creator of uh, El Diablo Azul, who's a crime fighting luchador. Um, he's really great. He's a great guy, and uh, he deserves all the credit in the world for all he does for, for indie publishers. Oh, that's great. It's so nice to have someone like that in your quarter. That's awesome. Absolutely. I'm a lucky guy. Very cool. Well, let's keep in touch. I'd love to have you back on in the future. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you tonight, so let's definitely keep in touch and chat again soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. It's so nice to meet you. All you right, too. everyone. That was Jean Hoyle. Welcome and have a great night. All right. That was great. Thank you. You're very welcome. And we're back. What'd you think? I thought it was cool. Hopefully you took notes. So the first question of the test is going to be, what did you learn from this episode today? Take your time. Got down. Okay. Second question is, how cool was that? These are easy questions, I know. But seriously, though, this is awesome. Gene, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for talking with Melissa. I know Melissa had a lot of fun doing this one. And uh, I had a lot of fun listening to it. And I hope you did out there. You did out there as well. And uh, if you do like that, check the links in the show notes. Go check out what Gene's doing out there. Just look him up on Twitter. Uh, Gene Hoyle. That's some great stuff. Look up, just look up Nerd Nation or Nerd Nation Presents. You'll find a lot more stuff. Now, if you like that, and I know you did because you're still listening, you should go to spoilerverse.com and check out all of our other podcasts and all of our other shows. We've got so much stuff there. We are over 500 episodes on this show. So there's definitely a lot of content for you. And if you like breaking news, if you like news and stuff that's happening in the movies and the comics and out there in the world of pop culture, check out our sister show, Bridge and the Geekdom, uh, with Robert and Colton. They do a lot of cool stuff there, a lot of uh, free talks, a lot of breaking news about uh, rumors and stuff we're hearing on, in the, on the streets. So check out that Bridging the Geek Times on Spoilerverse.com and on all podcatchers out there in the world. And while you're on Spoilerverse, go check out all the articles and reviews and previews and so much fun stuff up there. And if you're interested in writing for us, there's a little join the call button up at the top. If you click that, fill a little form, shoot us an email. We'll love it. And uh, go to the store, buy a shirt, fly as hell. Go to scpot.us slash discord and join our public discord server. Come chat with us, all of us. We'll love it. And, uh, we're having some contests soon. You're going to love it. So, uh, you know, scpod, scpod.us slash discord. Come have some fun. And finally, that's a show, which means there's one thing left for me to do. Erosion's a podcast. We are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu provides you to do, open your mind and read more.